listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Um, several years ago, uh, my wife and I, we went to uh, a concert at a place called Turner Hall. It's the oldest theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, we're used to like these wild concerts with loud music, um, but I knew we were finally getting officially older when the venue had a bunch of tabletops and everyone was there like double our age. And so regardless, we're, we're just excited to see this group. The duo, duo was called uh, the Civil Wars. I don't think they're even a group anymore, but for the most part, it was a guy who played guitar and sang while the girl would sing a, a harmony with him. And it wasn't this wild concert. There weren't crazy lights or people dancing. It's, it's literally it's just a guy and uh, a girl and a guitar. But as they began to sing, there was this like perfect harmony that washed over us. And their voices were so perfect that I, I would say it has haunted me in all of the right ways. Like I had never heard anything so simple and yet so captivating. And when they finished their set, of course the crowd went, went wild. And to this day, I would say, um, I don't know about Corey would say this, but I would definitely say that's one of my top three favorite concerts that we had ever been to. And there was just something powerful in, in a voice so whether that's the perfect voice of gentle harmonies, the roaring voice of a parent getting their child's attention, the calming voice of an encouraging teacher, the reassuring voice of a constant friend, and then how much more? How much more will the voice of the Lord fall on our ears? So the voice that, that breathes life, the voice over the waters, the voice that echoes in thunder, the voice that raises up and crashes down, the voice that shakes the mountain, the voice of Yahweh, King of kings, and the voice of our Lord. Because when that voice falls on our ears, like we must join in the, with the heavenly beings in praise of His glory. So I'm going to answer this question in the text. Like, why, why shouldn't you... And why shouldn't I, why shouldn't we glorify ourselves? Why shouldn't you glorify yourselves? And really why the voice of glory belongs to the Lord alone will be in Psalm 29. Um, it was not my intention as I set up the Psalm series to do 27, 28, 29, but that is where we are this morning. If you have a digital Bible, I'll be out of the ESV. You got nothing, uh, but you have a bulletin. It's all there for you. Uh, but let's pray and then we'll read the text together. God, we uh, come before you and uh, I pray for just this overwhelming realization of who you really are. That when you speak, life exists. When you speak, creation exists. God, when you speak, 
it's thunder. And when you speak, it shakes the mountain. And when you speak, it tears down and it builds back up. God, help us. As so many believers that have grown up in church and have heard things about you and have read pieces of your word or maybe uh, your entire word many times in our life, God, help us as followers of Christ that just grow so numb to all of this, that never even pause to think who we're even worshiping. God, help us to be overwhelmed by you as we read Psalm 29. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Um, as I usually do, let's read through the text and then we'll walk through it together. Psalm 29, it says this. A psalm of David ascribed to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So the voice of the Lord is over the waters. And the God of glory thunders and the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful and the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars and the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. So the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. And may the Lord bless his people with peace. Why shouldn't you glorify yourself? Let's be careful uh, how we view that question before we answer it. Because how easy it is to hear this question and think like, Whew, I know a lot of people that need to hear this one. People that always act like they've got it together. People that always act like they're better than everyone else. People that always think they're right. People that are just prideful and arrogant. Yeah, those are the people that they need, they need to stop glorifying themselves. And now, while certainly that's true, there's plenty of people like that, we must be careful to not assume that we don't often do the same. So just because you're quiet doesn't mean you are not prideful. And just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you're not arrogant. And just because you're nice doesn't mean you're not selfish. The truth is we all tend to be these self-glorifying creatures because we all tend to be self-seeking creatures. Or simply, you and I, we, we, we struggle to glorify Christ in all of his strength and all of his splendor because we're too busy thinking about ourselves. And so every day of our life, every moment, is this, this constant inner dialogue of how will this impact me? How will I be happy? What do I gain from this? And I'd say even in our attempts of serving others, this is often littered with self-seeking happiness. So often we serve others so we can just see some sort of visible fruit from our laborer. We so often serve others so we can just, honestly, so we can feel better about ourselves. No, friends, this isn't a message for the prideful. This is also a message for those that pretend like they're not. Let me show you why you and I 
have no business attempting to glorify ourselves. I'll just give us three points today. Here's the first one. Because the Lord's voice is over all creation. All creation. Verse 1, a psalm of David. We see the words scribe three times. Uh, at the beginning of this song, scribe simply means to give. But I'd say it's really not to give how you and I might think of giving when we give some, something to someone that usually means like we're giving something to someone like that they don't really have. As if we're giving God a piece of our glory to complete his glory. Like so as if God has this glory-filled piggy bank and he's just begging us to fill it up so he can feel better about himself. No, the truth is, all glory belongs to the Lord because all things belong to the Lord. So ascribing glory to the Lord is not giving him something that he lacks. It's not giving him something that he's not already due. This is 1 Chronicles 29.11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. It's already his, so we, acknowledge, we are acknowledging that all things belong to the Lord. But here's really the remarkable thing going on in the text, looking at verses 1 and 2 before we really dive in. David is not just speaking about uh, us glorifying the Lord or ascribing glory to the Lord, but as you see in Psalm 29, it's really about the heavenly beings ascribing glory of the Lord. Verse 1, ascribe to the Lord, O Yahweh, O heavenly beings. The actual translation would be the sons of God or the sons of might. Simply, it's the created spiritual beings of heaven. So not humans like you and I, but heavenly beings such as angels and cherubim and seraphim, which we'll look at, and certainly I would say many more that are not mentioned. It's created heavenly beings that are crying out for the Lord, for His glory, that is due His name and His strength. It's the created Heavenly beings that worship the Lord in the splendor of really His holiness. What a, what like a, a sight that's just difficult for us to fathom, but a sight that the saints most certainly will see. Like how dare you and I attempt to glorify ourselves when there's a worship service going on right now. Right now. As I speak, there's a worship service going on right now where the heavenly beings glorifying the Lord. David is proving a point that glory belongs to the Lord. And what we will see throughout this chapter is really David's use of Canaanite poetry. So, meaning David is making use of style and contrast that the Lord is greater than the enemy. I hear a little... A little ditty here. It's a worship. That's be like, man, wouldn't that be disappointing? <laughs> like you get the glory, and you're like, is that a ringtone? Like I thought it was gonna be a lot. I thought it was gonna be a lot bigger than that. But <laughs> Peter Craigie, he put it like this: the poet has deliberately utilized Canaanite type language and imagery 
in order to emphasize the Lord's strength and victory in contrast to the weakness of the false god, Baal. So verses 3 through 9 make the use of, of, of this word voice or noise to describe the glory of the Lord. So seven times in the text, Psalm 29, we witness the voice of glory. Seven times we see God's sovereign control over all things. And then the first thing we see is God's sovereignty over creation. We have no right to glorify ourselves because the Lord's voice is over creation. Looking at verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters and the glory of God thunders. His voice is powerful and full of majesty. Don't you see it? And I don't think I'm the only one, um, but it's just been surprisingly difficult the past month to mow my own lawn. Okay, let me explain. Two weeks ago, I had this like one little window of time to, to mow before the next storm hit. And I could see it on the Weather Channel app, the radar, it's, it's headed our way, and I could see the, the storm clouds growing in the sky. I'm like, all right, I got some time. So I grab my flip-flops and run out there, fully aware that I'm going to cut off one of my toes one day. But it's just, I don't want to ruin shoes, so that's what I'm doing. Regardless, I'm pushing this mower as fast as I can, um, and then the sky really, it really let loose about 10 minutes after I got done. And if you and I can barely schedule our lives around the weather we can't control, should it not stir something inside of us to marvel at the Lord who is over creation, and not just over creation, but commands creation by his voice? And his voice does not just create, but it controls. This is Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. And they mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. And they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. So God doesn't need to look at a smartphone to determine the weather. His, his voice lifts the waves, and his voice that just calms the storms of the sea that were hushed. David speaking more than likely about the Mediterranean Sea in this context. You and I, like we can't even remember to bring an umbrella with us, and yet he controls creation with the sound of his voice. Why should you, glorify, why you, you should not glorify yourself? Here's point two. Because the Lord's voice shatters the strong. Shatters the strong. Verses 5 through 6 of our text offers really several interesting points of reference concerning uh, the, their location. We see two mountains mentioned right there in the text. First is Mount Lebanon, and the second is Mount Sirion. Both of these mountains, they're, they're north of Canaan. 
Both of these mountains would have, I would say, triggered, immediately triggered the minds of the Israelites. Both of these mountains stood 10,000 feet over sea level, towering over the landscape and the people. And the voice of the Lord that breaks the cedar and pine and fir and cypress and oak trees of the mighty mountain of Lebanon. It's the voice of the Lord that makes the mighty mountains of Lebanon and Syrian uh, move and skip like a calf and a wild ox. This is not just some ancient Near Eastern history. The same voice of the Lord controls the great smoky mountains and Roan Mountain and Grandfather Mountain, and not just the mountains, but the desert, looking at verse 7. It's the voice of the Lord that flashes forth flames of fire, and then in verse 8, that shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. You, re- you might remember um, that once God's people were enslaved in, in Egypt, enslaved in Egypt by a, ty- a tyrant named Pharaoh Moses, he's, he sent back to his people, to f- or to God's people, Uh, To free them, long story short, they end up in the desert, away from that freedom. And the Lord shows Israel a a, a glimpse of the promised land of Canaan. If you remember, they send some spies out, and the spies come back and give a report. The only problem is that that land is filled with terrifying enemies. So Israel has been miraculously freed by God, And yet they doubt God to give them this promised land. Where was that season of doubt? And where did God punish Israel to roam in the wilderness for 40 years because of that? Well, as Numbers 13.26 shares, it's in the wilderness of Kadesh. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that David reminds Israel of their failure in the desert. Israel literally could not see the power and the might and the glory and the voice of the Lord. He shatters the great mountains of Lebanon and Syrian. He flashes forth flames of fire and shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Like what chance did Canaan stand before the voice of the glory of the Lord? Israel failed to see it. There is no nation that can stand against America that the Lord cannot shatter. He's stronger than any communist regime or any tyrant in Russia. And yet, there's no strength in America that the Lord can't destroy with the sound of his voice. Let us not assume like we have favor with God by any physical strength as if the Lord couldn't end America tomorrow with the sound of his voice. Like how terrifying and glorious that there is no man or woman or political system that can stand against the voice of glory. He will shatter all those that try to stand in their own strength. He is the God that breaks the cedars and flashes forth flames of fire and shakes the wilderness. Jeremiah 23 Verse 29, it says this. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? You and I shouldn't attempt to glorify ourselves because the Lord can ruin us with just his voice. 
Why shouldn't you glorify yourself? Let me give you point three. Because the Lord's voice causes shouts of eternal praise. The beginning of verse 9, it's certainly confusing. Uh, We've been discussing the glory of the Lord, his physical creation concerning the waters and the mountains and the deserts. But then we get to verse 9, it says that the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Now, while certainly I would agree that that is true, it really does seem out of place if you're just reading through the text on your own. So we have some sort of confusion here in the text, and I'd say it's for good reason. Some of the earlier, and maybe your Bible would even say this, but some of the earlier manuscripts say that the deer gives birth, and some of the earlier manuscripts say that it makes the oaks to shake. All right, so I would say that latter translation makes more sense to me, but I'm personally not sure which is more accurate. Regardless, it doesn't change the pattern, the direction, the meaning, or point of this psalm. As mentioned, it is the Lord who is over creation, and yet we see the remarkable conclusion of verse 9, and in his temple all cry glory. And we're not just talking about a church service just yet. And we're not just talking about you driving to work and singing loud worship songs in your, in your car just yet. We're talking about shouts of eternal praise from the heavenly beings mentioned in verse 1. Can't teach this without going to Isaiah. Isaiah 1, starting in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Each had these six wings, which two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And when he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The train or hem of his robe fills the temple. So his glory, do his name, fills the temple. And there's this unending praise of the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy. The Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah, I would say, in his humbleness before the holy God is just silent in that praise. Who am I? Who am I that I should begin to praise the Lord like the seraphim? And who am I that I should cry out glory to God knowing that my life has been full of sin and heartbreak and disappointment? and regret and the wicked things that I remember that I would rather never remember. Like, sure, yeah, I get it. I don't want to glorify myself, but who am I that I would be able to glorify the Lord? And then the seraphim touched Isaiah's lips and said, your guilt is taken away, your sins atoned for. And that's not just Isaiah's story. 
It's the story of all those that are in Christ, that your guilt is gone and your sin atoned for. Romans 5.2 Through him, Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So then we rejoice. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We don't rejoice in ourselves. We rejoice in the work of Christ. We rejoice in the hope of glory. I'm going to ask us a question that I hope, honestly, we really don't forget. If the heavenly beings praise the Lord, why would God's redeemed do anything less? The Lord's voice causes shouts of eternal praise. This past week, I've been getting text messages from uh, friends in Illinois and, and Tennessee. Most of them have said, I saw the news. Is your family safe? Now, uh, most of you know our family is from Kentucky. Uh, thankfully, all of our family lives in central or western uh, Kentucky and miss the devastation of floodwaters. But the reality is, eastern Kentucky was and is underwater. This Appalachian community that that was, and I'd say is, being destroyed by greedy coal mining companies and natural disasters, an Appalachian community trying to survive, but just rocked by another flood. So as much as Tennessee has and always will have my heart, Kentucky will always be the place that raised me. So it hurts to watch so many suffer, and I saw it on Facebook, I think I shared it, but Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, he mentioned a conversation with an uh, Eastern Kentucky friend to describe the most recent flooding in Hollybush. I'll just read it. It says, These things happen, Mike. Flash floods in the mountains are not unheard of, but they're usually isolated to one holler or area. This was different. Our whole region has been wiped out. Power, water, cell service, phones, everything is all gone. People still can't contact their loved ones, friends, and neighbors were fleeing their houses, literally running for higher ground through the night just to sit there on a hillside and watch their home get washed away. We've already lost seven members of our community, two of which are little babies, and two of their siblings are still missing. It's heartbreaking. So if I can be transparent, it, it bothers me to read verse 10. Verse 10 says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. And I think, how, how do I give glory to the Lord that allowed and continues to allow tragedy to happen? How do we ascribe glory to the Lord over the, even the flood of eastern Kentucky? And the truth is, I, I, don't, I don't know why terrible things happen when they happen. Sure, God's in control. Absolutely. And, and, and sure, I'd say sin has broken, fractured our world. Simply bad things happen because of sin. But I, I truly don't know why they happen to certain places and to certain people and at certain times. I don't know why, and neither do you. But here's what I know will happen. 
I know that the church will respond in the flood. I know that the first boots on the ground of tragedy is churches and Christ followers. I know that every denomination will lend a hand. I know that Samaritan's Purse is already there. I know that Abigail Holmes, a member of our church, is right, is right there this morning serving. I know that next Saturday, August 20th, we'll send a team of, uh, from East River Park to go serve in Floyd County, Kentucky. There's still four spots available for that. And I know that even in the storms of life, the Lord will send his church as ambassadors of Christ to serve those in brokenness. So I don't know why, exactly why the Lord sits enthroned over tragedies, but I also know he won't let them go on forever. I know that the Lord is not just redeeming his children, but he's also redeeming all kinds of creation, all of creation. And I know that one day he'll say to the storms, peace be still. And the wind will cease forever, and calmness and peace will never end. It's, not, it's just not worth trying to glorify yourself. It's not worth glorifying yourself when, when we serve a God who's over all things. We don't try to glorify ourselves, and I'll just give you the summary point. Because the Lord sits enthroned over all. That he is king forever. That he will give strength to his people and he'll bless his people with peace. Charles Spurgeon put it like this and I'll, I'll close. He who wings the unerring bolt will give to his redeemed the wings of eagles. He who shakes the earth with his voice will terrify the enemy of his saints and give his children peace. Why are we weak when we have divine strength to flee to? Why are we troubled when the Lord's own peace is ours? Jesus, the mighty God, is our peace. What a blessing this is today. What a blessing it will be to us in the day of the Lord, which will be in darkness and not light to the ungodly. Dear reader, is not this a noble song to be sung in stormy weather? Can you sing amid the thunder? And will you be able to sing when the last thunders are let loose and Jesus judges quick and dead? The Lord sits enthroned over all. If you have any questions about the text or want to respond to the word in any way, we'd love to talk with you, but let's pray and then we'll sing.